Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please note, this podcast is not suitable for children. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. Generally, the sort of people who say that prisons are like holiday camps have never been in a prison. They've probably never been to a holiday camp either, to be perfectly honest. I'm really excited today to be talking to Simon Shepherd, who is the director of the Butler Trust. And there's very few people that I have ever met who have been into 102 prisons in England and Wales. But Simon is that guy. He's also exceptionally positive and upbeat because the reason he's been going into those prisons is to talk about what is good in our prison service. There is so much good stuff going on. There are so many good staff and it is something that isn't celebrated or talked about enough. So today we're gonna be celebrating the good in the prison service. My name's Simon Shepherd. I'm director of the Butler Trust, which runs the annual awards for prison and probation staff. And over the last year or so, uh, since um, the beginning of 2018, I've uh, visited every closed prison in England and Wales, that's 102 jails, um, to look at the good stuff that's going on across the estate. And what good stuff is going on across the estate? Because I always welcome some positive stories uh, on the podcast. Well... Yeah, actually, there's a lot of good stuff going on. I mean, I've worked for 30 years in this sector, and um, the one of the big frustrations for me is that all of the coverage that we ever have about prisons pretty much is negative. Yeah. And it's absolutely true that the last few years have been really challenging. We all know that for uh, for the prison service. But I know from our work at the Butler Trust that there's an awful lot of good stuff that's going on. I think it's really important that we we recognise that and um, and celebrate it, and uh, f for a couple of reasons really. Partly because I think you know if we if we really want to improve the prison system, we need to know not only what isn't working and and the, the inspector and others play a really important role in that. Um, we and, and we need to cut that out. We also need to find out what is working, what's going well, what things make a difference to prisoners' lives and their likelihood of reoffending when they're released. What sort of things make a difference to the working lives of, of staff in jails? Which jails do, do those things well? So that we can share that and spread that across the estate. There are some really great things going on around rehabilitation, for example, often in partnership with the charitable sector like Recycling Lives, which you may have come across. They're doing some great work because they help provide people with training opportunities and also with uh, 
employment when they're released and housing if they're homeless. So that is ticking a number of boxes, if you like, in terms of... they work of, in roughly how many prisons? I think they've got 12 prisons. Okay, so there are quite a few. For the, for the most part in the closed estate. Um, and um, I think two or three of them are in the open estate. But um, their, their names came up regularly as I went as I went around prisons. I mean, that's just one example. But, you know, there's some great work going on around um, uh, supporting prisoners' families. For example, after the Farmer Report, that's uh, that's been taken really seriously across the estate. And the Farmer Report was written to emphasise the importance of family ties, wasn't it? Exactly right. And the thing with family ties, obviously, if you if you're released and you're socially isolated, your likelihood of reoffending is much greater. Do you find it interesting that it's 2019 and we're having to write reports on why the family is so important? I think what we have to remember is while things have been really difficult over the last four or five years, if you draw the camera out and look over a longer period, which I am able to do surprisingly, um, it feels astonishing that I've been around for 30 years. I don't feel old <laughs> enough, even if I look at it. But um, you, know, you can see that the prison service made incremental strides throughout that time, pretty much up to about 2012, 2013, where they, I think, continually improved what they were doing, starting off with uh, engaging prisoners in the regime and improving relationships between prisoners and staff and developing offending behaviour programmes. And you may recall that they brought in an accreditation panel of which actually, funnily enough, I was part in the late 90s to to help to improve the quality of programs. So it's been but it's been a sort of iterative process of of improving what the service was doing. And I think you know the next stages are what they're doing now around further enhancing prisoner engagement within the regime, improving support for families for instance, bringing in key work which is another major change and initiative which I think is is bringing tremendous benefits. And just explain for the listeners the key worker and the significance of the key worker. So there used to be a thing called personal officers. Each prisoner should have had a personal officer so every officer was given a a number of prisoners who they were in theory responsible for, for their welfare, well-being and also for helping to encourage them to engage with the opportunities available to them. It didn't work terribly well not least because it wasn't an integral part of the officer's job and the other reason because essentially an officer would be given uh, cells one to ten on on the threes landing and then if a prisoner moved from the threes landing to the twos landing they had a new person officer they moved to another wing certainly they had a new person officer under this key work scheme every officer will have be responsible for around six prisoners and they will have to meet them every week and um, that is now detailed as part of their job so that there are hours that are set aside for them to do that the government approved increased funding for the prison service on the back of introducing key work. There are two benefits of key work. One is the work itself, which is incredibly important and which is really well received by prisoners and staff. Everywhere I went, people have said it's a game changer, key work. The other thing is it, it provides extra boots on the landing. And that's really important when there are incidents, when there are problems. Because although because those staff are actually in the jail and those are staff who are trained in control and restraint and able to deal with situations. So that's helped to improve safety within the jail. Now, if key work isn't delivered, I would imagine that that money would be withdrawn again. So there's a massive incentive within prisons for them to maintain that. And they can see the impact that it's having. The, the data is already beginning to reflect that, that the jails, the early adopters of key work have seen really quite substantial reductions in violence. And how many prisons are the key workers in? By the end of the year, every prison will have key work up and running or at least starting to be introduced. Most of the prisons I visited had, well, certainly from the last summer, yeah, uh, 
had uh, at least started to introduce key work, but it, it's being phased in in order to do it properly. Yeah. And all the staff have to be trained. And, you know, it'll take time to, to bed in. In some cases, people say, well, it's great, but, you know, if a man's doing life and they've been in for 25 years and they've been in the same jail for the last 10 years, you know, what is there to talk about on an ongoing basis? And it's a fair comment. I think there are also issues around very short-term prisoners and how much, you know, what opportunities to build a relationship. Well, exactly. But the basic principle of it is is really good. Let me go back to the 102 yes. prisons and your sort of general reflections on sort of what you've seen. What are your sort of big overall reflections looking back on that? So in every prison, I talk to a group of prisoners, a group of staff and a group of managers. In every jail, each of those three groups had at least some good things to say. Particularly the things that, that came out very strongly were around relationships between prisoners and staff which in the vast majority of prisons both groups said were good and in some prisons really excellent they also said that they had been improving substantially over the last year or two another area which i think may surprise a lot of people was around safety you know if we look at the stats it it seems as though prisons are incredibly dangerous places to be and getting more so well actually the latest data suggests that that's they're beginning to turn that tide. Most of the prisoners who I spoke to said, even though there were quite high levels of violence in, in a lot of establishments, you could keep out of trouble if you wanted to keep out of trouble. And it was only a small subset of the prisoners who were actually involved in violence. There were one or two examples of prisons where prisoners said, no, actually here, it's still really quite difficult and, and even we would find it tough to keep out of trouble. But, but in almost every prison, there was that sense. And staff too, you know, the, what they were quite keen to underline was the fact that although there are assaults and sometimes they're really dreadful and we've seen you know sadly a couple of really horrendous examples of assaults on staff in, even in the last couple of weeks for the most part they felt safe too in their jobs I mean the pr prison system was hit by a double whammy of reducing staff plus spice yeah I mean, spice came about in about 2013 which was at the point that the staff cuts started to hit and people would often become incredibly violent on the back of spice that's a big part of the problem that spice creates so can you explain to me exactly spice. what spice is spice is what they call a new psychoactive substance it was one of those what they used to call legal highs until the legislation changed and people used it because it was a, it was a legal alternative to cannabis that's what people that's what people thought of it as being and you couldn't get tested for it so there was no there were no tests for it i suspect that the prison system may very well have been able to cope with the reduced numbers of staff without spice and they might have been able to cope with sp with spice if they hadn't had the reduction in staff because public sector staffing levels were only reduced to the levels that the private sector had at the time and the private sector was actually functioning quite well i think we forget that um, but if you take the reduced levels of staff and then add spice into the mix you have uh, a double whammy that neither the public sector nor the private sector was able to cope with. Sorry, how many of the prisons that you saw had the drug scanners at the time of you doing your visits? Because uh, do you think that plays a part in getting on top of the spice? I don't have that figure immediately to hand. What I would say is that certainly early in the process, so these are things that came on stream over the last 18 months. So early in the process, very few prisons, that's been starting to change. Obviously, there are a certain number of prisons that the government has been focusing on in particular, what they call the 10 prisons, where they've invested quite a lot in various forms of technology but a lot of jails are doing things like for instance um, photocopying all the mail in quite a few prisons that's had a 
according to prisoners, a really quite profound effect on um, access to vice because what people were doing was soaking their letters with spice and then the prisoners were able to... Yeah, but then wasn't the counter-argument against that, whilst I completely appreciate um, the security aspect around the drugs, of course then people said, you know, wouldn't it be nicer to have that handwritten letter by your child as opposed to... So then when it comes to the pharma review and the family ties... You're right. Obviously... If I were in prison and um, I couldn't get my birthday card or my Christmas card from, from you know, my daughter because, it, well, I could only get a photocopied version of that card, I, I can completely understand that that would be really difficult. What was interesting was a lot of the prisoners said to me, we don't like the fact that we can't get our cards. We don't like the fact that we have to also wait because it introduces a delay into the process. But we'd rather have photocopied mail than... Spice. Oh, interesting. And and I think that's right. I think you know, if I if I were inside it, the first thing I would want is I want to feel safe. Mm. And I could kind of sacrifice pretty much anything else for safety. If I've got safety and I've you know I can get my mail, albeit it may be a bit delayed and it may be photocopied, I've also got to have access to telephones and of course they're now bringing phones into cells across the estate. Do you have any sense of what percentage, I mean, it's a big question and I'm sure we don't have the data, of um, how many people are addicted to drugs in our prison system? Are we sort of talking well over 50% generally? Or is it more like 70? I think that's a really interesting question. I worked in addictions field for quite some time, actually. Um, and it's an interesting question what we mean by addiction. I mean, something like two thirds of prisoners are drug users before they come into prison. But that doesn't necessarily mean that drugs are causing their, fueling their offending. Of course, that's a really interesting question about, about the nature of the relationship between those. But yeah. there are also people who say that when they're in prison, they've, they develop a drug habit when they're in prison. And I've no doubt that that is also true mm. in some cases. Just like in Vietnam, a lot of American soldiers developed drug habits, but they, interestingly, even quite heavy drug habits. But as soon as they came back, they stopped, um, which is an interesting issue about uh, about how addictions develop and, and are maintained but what we do know is that you know mandatory drug testing rates I think got up to around 20 um, percent or so in a, in a lot of prisons right um, which is a you know the, a random uh, random testing so then would you say it's a minimum of 20 percent of any one institution I believe it's lower than that now right. I, I, um, I think it was uh, it was 20%, I think, when they first introduced mandatory drug testing. I don't have the figures to hand on that. And I suppose if it's a small number of people flooding the prison with spice, then it's very difficult to work out any data at all because, you know, you hear stories of staff and prisoners um, actually inhaling spice sort of by accident. Yeah, you know, I, I, we can't pretend there isn't a problem with spice in, no. in, the, in, in the jail system. No. It, it very much varies from one prison to another. The long-term estate... It's much less of an issue than it is in the short-term estate. In the long-term estate, prisoners tend to feel that this is their home, that you know this is where they live, and these are their neighbours, this is their house, there's a fair flat, uh, this is their street, you know, the, the landing on the wing is their street. That's where they live, and actually, they don't particularly want drug dealers on every street corner. They don't want to risk getting beaten up, uh, you know, on their way to the corner shop, or in this case, to to work, or or to work, or to to, to to get their canteen or whatever it might be. So they want safety and spice is much less readily available there and much less widely used. I think when you're talking about short-term estate, you've got often quite chaotic people are in there for a very short time and you've also got people coming and going. You have people being recalled on license, which is one way 
people, we heard stories of people purposefully getting record on license mm. so that they can bring drugs in. Um, and that's where, that's where the real challenge is. But even then, I'm not sure that we know how many people are, are using it. If, until recently, it was really difficult to test for it. Um, but what staff and prisoners have both said is that they, even in the local prisons, that they do feel that there are fewer problems with spice. So just to throw out maybe a controversial point, mm. is there an argument to say, and I'm not sure whether you can answer this for me or not, if everyone was smoking marijuana that maybe chilled people out, there wouldn't have been an influx of spice? Well... I mean, who knows? Yeah, it, I mean, it is true that certainly when I joined the prison system, which is the very late 80s and into the early 90s, we did used to condone cannabis use because it, it kept everything calm and stable. And when mandatory drug testing was brought in, a lot of people were very unhappy about that, partly because we suspected that it would drive people towards heroin use because cannabis stays in the system for much longer. And indeed, there is evidence, I think, to suggest that that's, that's what happened. And I think mandatory drug testing played a significant role in the rise of spice because it was undetectable. So therefore, nobody got into any trouble. Um, whereas for any other drug they did, that's, I think, partly what drove it. Because interestingly, in Scotland, they don't have a spice problem in the Scottish prison system. Why not? I think because they don't have mandatory drug testing. You know, you couldn't have anticipated that happening. And I don't think, to be honest, that it was very healthy that we did use to condone cannabis use. And I suspect that lots of my colleagues who are still in the prison system would say that... Um, I'm, I'm overstating it, but we we definitely did. and we'd know I definitely it. remember being on certain wings of certain prisons that will remain nameless. I definitely remember. I mean, we used to certainly say, you, you, you could tell if a jail, if, if the supply of cannabis had been interdicted one particular week, because the jail would be much more restive over the weekend and into the beginning of the, of the next week. Uh, you know, I think it was just a, it was an accepted part of the prison. But that's not a way to manage things. I mean, to be perfectly honest, you can't, you can't manage a population of, of incarcerated people by getting them all stoned. It's not really the way to do it. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. 
what are the other big themes of positivity? Oh, yeah, so yeah, we've yeah, got absolutely. relations, we've got the sort of, um, we've covered the sort of drug side of things that yeah. you think is going in a more positive direction, which is great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's the sort of things that have made a difference. I mean, the extra staff that have been brought in through and the key work which I already mentioned, which have made a tremendous impact. Telephones in cells. Mm. We don't have them in every prison yet, but the government has announced that they're going to roll them out across the estate. And again, that was a key recommendation of the Pharma Review. Yeah, and I think so. They're another game changer. And it's not just about uh, maintaining relationships between prisoners and their families. It's also about it reduces conflict. Because you know, one of the biggest sources of conflict is people who are unable to get hold of their families. They're out only for a short time out of their cells, especially in local prisons, often for only quite short periods of time. They then have to queue up to, get, to, to use a phone in, in, in a very public and noisy environment. And oftentimes they wouldn't get to the front of the queue before they all had to go back behind the doors again. And the potential for conflict, both between prisoners in, in, in the queues and also between prisoners and staff, where staff are having to bang them up, at the end of association when they haven't been able to make their calls, obviously great. So if you take that away, that has a really profound impact. And the other, similarly around technology, the other thing that I've seen in a number of prisons is that is what they call the kiosks. The kiosks look a little bit like, a little bit like a cash point machine, sort of cash point machine that you get in a in a in a corner shop. You know the sort of freestanding ones, and uh, with a touch screen, and it allows prisoners to do things like sort out their canteen so you know that's the, the little bits and pieces that they can buy each week what, from like their earnings. toothpaste toothpaste soap shampoo one. that kind of stuff yeah. um biscuits if they've if they've got enough money left they might buy biscuits I mean, in the old days you'd always buy your tobacco because you can't do that now but they're yeah. vapes if they're if they're using vapes so they can do that on the computer they can sort out their menu choices for the week they can put in applications to go to see the doctor they can transfer money to buy phone credit for, the, for their telephones. In some jails, they can also use it to, to book their visits. And that sort of thing makes a massive difference. It makes a massive difference partly because it gives prisoners some degree of agency, some modicum of control over their lives, which, of course, is what prison strips from you. But also, again, it massively reduces potential conflict mm. between prisoners and staff, and it changes the nature of the relationship between them. Because at the moment, if, in a jail without kiosk, if you're a prisoner... Pretty much anything that you want, anything that you need, you have to go through the staff. And so for staff, they're constantly being pulled from pillar to post. Yeah. And they're constantly having demands of what happened to my app to go and see the doctor? The officer doesn't know. It creates then additional tension. I was talking to someone about this, funnily enough, yesterday. And the flip side, of course, is then if relationships are key and people are needing to come out of their cell more, actually doing things through a computer is sort of counterintuitive to that. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. Bear in mind, I have spoken to an awful lot of people about mm. this who've, mm. who have experience of of the kiosk and the staff tell me they, they they make a massive difference and prisoners tell me they make a massive difference i have heard those anxieties in jails that don't have kiosks right i've not heard them in any jail that does have them and okay. i've not heard them from any prisoner who's been in a jail with kiosks i think those anxieties are misplaced i'll be, yeah. I'll be honest i mean other things food perennial bugbear in prisons mm. you know they have two pound five p a day i think it is to to feed prisoners you know understandably uh the food isn't going to be of the highest quality as a result of that. What was really interesting to me is that in quite in, in a number of prisons, prisoners told me how good the food was. Really? Yeah. Maybe about 10, so maybe about 10% of the jails. And I wasn't particularly asking about food. Mm. So it, I just said to them, what's good about this prison? So if prisoners told me the food was good in 10 jails, I think we were fairly confident that it must be quite good. Um, 
And that doesn't seem to have been because they've got a higher budget or they've got access to food that other prisons don't have. It just seems that somehow the catering team in that particular jail has got something right that other jails struggle with. So one of the things I'm going to do, obviously, is go through the list, identify who those are, and suggest to the prison service it would be a good idea to get all the catering managers together and try to understand what those jails that are doing it well are doing differently. Mm, interesting. It is interesting. Another big thing is around the, the physical environment, which makes a massive difference. You go into a jail with greenery in it, where you can see trees, where you can see sky. The impact of that is profound. If it's clean, if the cells are clean, if when, if when a prisoner moves into a cell, they've got the bedding, they've got a desk, they've got a table, they've got a chair, they've got a television that works cell walls are not covered in graffiti mm. those things make a massive difference and there's been a big drive across the estate to improve decency i mean liverpool is a really good example of that you got a shocking report back in january 2018 for the conditions that there were in that jail i went there in, in february the governor very kindly allowed me to go in as part of this good book of prisons project even just after she'd taken over when she knew that the prison was a long way from where she wanted it to be and still there were good things going on in there uh, particularly around relationships in Liverpool are very strong on relationships between prisoners and staff um, but I went back uh, last week um, to see how things had changed in the in the interim and it's it's just astonishing prisoners and staff working together to transform the jail and the physical conditions have improved dramatically and that's had a profound impact on the staff and the prisoners but there's also stuff around greenery even obviously some prisons are lucky because they may be low-rise buildings in uh, they may have uh, in in a very green environment mm. but even if you're looking at you know Brixton Pentonville Wandsworth Leeds Nottingham places like that which really which really struggle in terms of green space mm. really have any the green old space. Victorian you buildings can, you can still do things so you can you can put planters up so Liverpool for instance is doing that they're putting planters up there are lots of jails where they're, they're really trying they're trying to find different ways to allow prisoners access to uh to the grounds where, where, where they can. I mean, and then you see, you know, examples like um, Drake Hall and, and Foston Hall, particularly in the, in, mm, in the, the female estate. estate yeah. I mean, Foston Hall is in a, is, Foston Hall has donkeys. I mean, you, you know, I, I, I can just hear people saying, oh, it's just like a holiday mm. camp. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, exactly what I was thinking. But you, you know what? Um, having those grounds and, 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 and animals, these are rescue animals that the women look after. To just have a massive impact on 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 mental health and and, and well-being. If you're going to put women in prison, it, it's, you have a responsibility to recognise that jail is difficult for 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 anybody, um, but I think particularly for women. And we know that from the data, and we know that from your work and um, the impact that prison has on women. And and anything that that softens that impact, I think, is incredibly important. But the bit about I'm going to take that holiday camp thing head on. I think generally the sort of people who say that. Prisons are like holiday camps have never been in a prison. Absolutely. And they've probably never been to a holiday camp either, to be perfectly honest. And <laughs> if they have, I shudder to think what yeah, sort Wands of holiday HMP camp... Wandsworth holiday camp. Yeah, Book I mean, your place now. I have been to every single closed prison in England and Wales, and I have yet to find one that I have not found one that I book into for my summer holidays. <laughs> and who the hell wants to book on but go go on holiday where you're going to be locked in a very small hotel room with somebody else you don't know with a toilet in the corner you're going to be locked in there for possibly up to 23 hours a day and if you are allowed to enter the resort there's no swimming pool and you can't leave the resort for years and years i mean th th if this is a holiday camp just because you've got a television in yourself that makes that's luxury yeah then i 
you know, then I yeah. think I think that um, Fred Pontin missed a trick or two in Absolutely. not in not just uh, warehousing people even more and locking them away in, 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 in his holiday camps. He'd have made an absolute fortune. But do you think this comes back to sort of the crux of the problem? Because I suppose the prison system has to find it's a fine balance between it's all to do with public perception, isn't it? And there's a lot of misunderstanding about the system because they're closed worlds. It's not transparent, all the rest of it. Um, and, and how you get that messaging out about if people are coming in and you want them to come out less dangerous, less violent, you know, sort of reformed characters, blah, blah, then there's a certain way you need to treat people. And whether it's unpalatable to people or not doesn't really matter because surely the service and the government have a duty to make sure that people are coming out in better shape but i appreciate it that it's a very difficult message for some reason the anglophone world is quite retributive if you look around the world in terms of of countries with the death penalty for instance if i mean that's often anglophone countries america is a good example canada had the death penalty until uh, the 1980s in terms of uh, the Caribbean it's the English-speaking countries in, in Africa it's primarily the English-speaking countries that have death penalty. Now, that, of course China and the, Asia is different but we have got a history for some reason in this country if somebody commits a crime we tend to see them then as as no longer human beings as having forfeited the right to be treated as a human being and I'm not sure where that comes from i'm not sure why that seems to be particularly strong in this country but you know i think we have to remember two things one we're shooting ourselves in the foot exactly as you said if we if we don't treat prisoners like human beings we're shooting ourselves in the foot because the likelihood of them coming out and then going straight is obviously going to be reduced so we're missing an opportunity there but also whatever somebody has done they are still a human being. They have not forfeited their right to be treated like a human being. And we're not talking about massive luxuries here. You know, we are not talking about five-star accommodation, jacuzzis and the, and the like. We are talking about basic decency, like a bed with some clean bedding, like with a toilet in your cell. That is not a luxury. In fact, it's not very pleasant, really. <laughs> But it's better than a bucket, which is what they had when I started in the prison system. We're not talking about luxuries. We're talking about treating people with basic decency, allowing them some fresh air, allowing them the opportunity to see some greenery, allowing them the opportunity to keep in touch with their families and trying to protect them from violence. These are basic fundamental rights that you haven't forfeited just because you've you know, however badly you've behaved. You, you, and, and we've got to accept that they're going to come out one day, exactly as you say. And we want them to come out better people, not more damaged than they were when they were exactly went and and then going back to the staff because of course behind those walls yes we have the men and women serving their sentences but of course i think um sometimes people can forget that prisons are a place of employment and we should be thinking very long and hard about the conditions that these people work in and i feel very strongly about this it is really important that we get it right for the staff Completely. I mean, the staff are absolutely critical. They're key to all of this. And, and they absolutely have rights. And we must never forget that. Things like, for instance, bringing in phones in cells, that has had a significant impact on officers. And I think that is the argument that, that, that won the day in the end, that swung the day. It wasn't about what prisoners are entitled to, but it's also about the fact that staff have to work with these people and, and we need to protect them as best we can. Prison officers are genuinely incredible people. They will tell you that they're 
just ordinary people doing a job. But there's nothing ordinary about them and there's nothing ordinary about their jobs. They do an incredibly difficult, complex job. The like of which I don't I can't think of any other job that has the range of challenges that being a prison officer does. They have to act as social workers, as mental health nurses, if you like. Parents. As parents, <laughs> yes. They have to, but at the same time, they have to balance that with the fact that, you know, if an alarm bell sounds, well, everybody else, all the civilian staff, like I used to be as a psychologist, you have to stand with backs to the wall so that the prison officers can come. Well, technically, they're not supposed to be running. They should be walking purposefully, but... Um, but generally running to an incident where they have no idea what to expect, where they may well, very well have to put their bodies on the line, and they, and they frequently have to in order to deal with an incident. They're the people that have to try to cut people down when they try to hang themselves or staunch the flow of blood when somebody's cut themselves to try to keep them alive. And th these are the things that these people do, and, and we forget about them. And the public has really no idea about what they do. And the really sad thing is I've met staff who say that they are embarrassed to tell anybody about the job that they do. And they should be so proud. And they should be so proud. And uh, they really should be. And I think the problem there is that, is that all the press is always negative. And they are also, they're behind closed walls. They're hidden heroes because they are hidden behind walls. We don't know uh, what goes on in prisons. And that's part of the reason that I went on this tour around the, the, the prison estate. I wanted to shed some light on you know, uh, on what actually goes on in prisons and show the public the good work that people do. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. A book is being published, am I right, off the back of all of your visits. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about the book and what you hope to achieve from it all? So the book will be published in August, hopefully. It's got two, two parts to it. I've done a short report on every prison that I've visited. So there, so there are 102 reports one page on each on right. each prison and just to be clear is that men women and children it's men and women so any prison holding 18 year olds and over that has a fence or a wall around it in right. england and wales i visited okay so there are a small number of prisons that are specifically uh, for uh, under 18s and also uh, open prisons that don't have walls and fences around them but they're they're really very different in many regards they have challenges of their own so i'm going to go and visit those separately from from this the idea is that there's a report on each one of those 102 closed prisons on what the staff the prisoners and the managers told me was good in that jail so i'm reporting what they've told me and then the the uh, there's going to be um what i'm writing at the moment is a kind of overarching narrative on the the, the overall findings from the tour so what what have i discovered as i've been going around what is the the state of prisons at the moment as as seen by the people who live and work in them what things make a difference to prisoners lives and to the working lives of staff what prisons do those things well we will be doing a limited uh, hard copy print run which we'll be sending out to all of the prisons but we'll also be you know making it available electronically as a PDF or as an as an as an ebook but yeah I mean we're not trying to make money out of this um, no even if you made money that went back into you know, your charity. Yeah, or that we could put into some other... Exactly. Uh, well, yeah, there may be a case for that. They may have to, I may have to rethink that. What I really want to do is I want to celebrate the work that prison... I highlight the, the, the good work that goes on in the estate, highlight the work that prison officers do, but also to, to help to identify lessons learned, if you like, that the prison service can, can, can draw on. I really can't wait to read what comes out of it all. And, and I hope it's sort of something that we can build on for the future. So thank you so much for 
filling the airwaves with positivity today. Thank you. If you want to get your hands on the information that comes out of Simon's 102 prison visits, then go to thegoodbookofprisons.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Justice. If you found it interesting, you can discover more about the work we do within the justice system by visiting our website, onesmallthing.org.uk. One Small Thing is a charitable organisation striving for positive change in the justice system. If you would like to subscribe to Justice, you can do so via your usual podcast platform. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.